This morning our scripture reading is coming from Luke chapter 13. It's Luke chapter 13 verses 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Amen. Pray for God's help as we come to his word now. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, our Savior, more clearly this morning. And open our hearts to respond to the goodness and grace that you have shown to us in Jesus, our Savior. And Lord, change us so that we love and obey you. Help us to rest on your goodness and grace as we go forward in our lives together. Do this work through your word, by your spirit now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That's Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear God's word now. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Is God really good? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever really struggled with understanding or believing that God is good, especially when God has brought something very hard into your life? It's one thing to say it, yeah, okay, I agree with that. It's another thing to struggle and believe it 
when we're suffering. Is God really good? Does he really love me? Is he really taking care of me? Now, there's a man in our passage who probably asked those same questions many times. That's the man with the withered hand. This man had a long-term crippling disability. He may have doubted God's goodness many, many times. But at the right time, when Jesus came, he believed. He stretched out his hand and he found out just how good God really is. There are other people in our passage who didn't believe that God was good. Deep in their hearts, they did not believe that God was good. That's the Pharisees. They might have the right Bible answer, right? Of course God is good. All the time he is good. But the Pharisees' attitudes and actions toward Jesus and toward this crippled man show their heart. They show that they did not believe that God was actually good. And the more that Jesus shows the Pharisees God's goodness and God's grace as they come face to face with the true character of God, the more they hate Jesus and they finally turn to reject him. That really points us to the main idea in this passage that Jesus reveals the depths of God's goodness and he exposes the true evil of rejecting him. Jesus reveals the depths of God's goodness and he exposes the true evil of rejecting him. This passage is really full of contrast, mainly between Jesus and the Pharisees. And I want to focus on three contrasts this morning as Jesus shows God's goodness and the Pharisees reject him. And here are the three contrasts. Judgment or mercy in verses 1 through 2. Evil or good in verses 3 to 5. And finally, rejection or faith in verses 5 to 6. So let's look at judgment or mercy in verses 1 to 2. The passage begins this way. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Uh, we can already guess, even from this first verse, what Jesus will do. We've seen his power and his mercy so many times before in the Gospel of Mark, as he heals the sick and he casts out demons. So we know that Jesus is going to heal this man in the synagogue. The sad part of the passage is that the Pharisees know that too. Look at verse 2. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The Pharisees are looking for opportunities to use Jesus' power and mercy against him. They know he can heal the man. They don't doubt his power. The question for them is whether he's going to choose to use it. And the key for the Pharisees is whether Jesus would choose to heal this man on the Sabbath. Because in their eyes, if Jesus did that, he would be working, he would therefore be breaking the Sabbath, and then they'd be able to press charges. They would be able to nail him for sure this time. Can you see just how badly the Pharisees' sin is, is warping their perspective? Just in these opening verses. I mean, shouldn't they rejoice that this man with the withered hand has a chance to be healed and restored? Shouldn't they rejoice that Jesus is the one who can and does heal? It's even worse than that. Let me put it this way. 
the Pharisees are actually trying to use Jesus' divinity against him. They're trying to use his divine character and actions, his mercy and his power shown in his miracles. They're trying to use those things to convict him of sin. Just sit with that for a minute. Just sit with that for a minute. The Pharisees are only men, right? They're limited just like you and me. They're sinful just like you and me. And they, as men, are waiting for a chance, looking for an opportunity to call God incarnate, Jesus Christ, a sinner. And not just a sinner like them. No, they want to call him a sinner who is so much worse than they are, a dreaded Sabbath breaker. The Pharisees think that they can sit in judgment over Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is sinful pride. And that's also blasphemy. It's blasphemy because they want to call God a sinner. God is not a sinner. Psalm 92, 15, there is no unrighteousness in him. The scriptures convict the Pharisees of their sins as they try to sit in judgment. But to make matters even worse, the Pharisees aren't even using God's word as the standard to judge Jesus. It looks like they are, right? Because they're concerned about the Sabbath. And if you look at the fourth commandment, it says you should not work on the Sabbath. We saw that last week. But do you remember what we saw last week? We saw more than that because they didn't understand the depth of God's law. They didn't even begin to understand the fourth commandment. And even beyond that, they had started to add their own rules to God's law as well. The Pharisees are the ones who should be judged by God right here, not the other way around. The Pharisees sit in judgment, but Jesus stands in mercy. And his mercy is in sharp contrast to their judgment. See Jesus' mercy here. Both Jesus and the Pharisees know that the man with a withered hand, he doesn't need to be healed on the Sabbath, right? He could actually just come back tomorrow and be healed. We saw that actually in Luke chapter 13. The synagogue ruler there got angry because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath and he told all the other people, don't come today, come back tomorrow. Jesus can heal you then. But Jesus doesn't wait to heal this man. When Jesus shows mercy, he does not wait for the kind of right day of the week or even for a need that seems big enough or serious enough. This man's life wasn't in danger. He could have waited and been fine. No, Jesus is always ready to show abundant goodness and mercy to everyone who needs it. And in fact, Jesus actually now shows the Pharisees that his mercy fulfills God's law about the Sabbath. His mercy and goodness to this suffering man is part of what God's Sabbath is all about. The Pharisees could not be more wrong as they try to judge Jesus. So let's look secondly then at evil or good in verses 3 to 5. Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking as they sit in their seats in the synagogue watching him. You can, you can almost imagine the scene, right? You can watch their eyes. They're, they're looking at the man. They're looking back to Jesus, looking back to the man, looking back to Jesus. Is he going to do it? Is he going to heal him? Can we finally catch him? 
And Jesus goes straight to the point. He calls the man with the withered hand to come right to him. Jesus is ready publicly to show God's goodness in healing this man, and he is ready publicly to confront the Pharisees in their sin. These verses are a defining moment in Jesus' ministry. And as he prepares to heal and to confront the Pharisees, he begins with a simple question. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. You know, by asking that question, Jesus is making the Pharisees think, What is the true meaning of the Sabbath? And what are we getting wrong about the Sabbath? Notice how he phrases his question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath? Is it in accordance, in line with God's law to do these things? You might remember last week again, this is the problem the Pharisees had. They said it's not lawful to go pick that grain in the field and to eat it. The Pharisees thought the disciples were breaking the law. But now Jesus turns the tables and he forces them to think about what is truly lawful. What is God's law about the Sabbath all about? And Jesus' question here is about a principle, not a particular action. He doesn't, notice, he doesn't say, is it lawful for me to heal this man? No, he goes much bigger. And he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? I mean, the the answer to Jesus' question is pretty obvious, right? It is right to do good and to save life on the Sabbath. And it is right because it is lawful. It's not right because you think it's a good idea. No, it's right because God has said that this is what is right. But where has God said it? Where would you go in the Bible to show that it is right to do good on the Sabbath? You won't find a particular verse saying, Thou shalt do good on the Sabbath. But actually, it's all the way through Scripture. Sabbath is God's gift to his people. He has given us a day of rest and worship for our good. Think about the character of God for a moment. God only gives us good gifts because he is good. We just saw Psalm 103. We just sang it. Did you hear those words about how good and loving and kind our God truly is to meet us in our needs, in our frailties, in our sins, and to bless us? The Sabbath is a good gift from our good God. In Luke 13, like we just looked at, in Luke 14, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of those who want to keep the Sabbath but don't want to do good. They don't want to actually be like God who gave them a good gift, right? In both passages, he actually reminds them, those sinners, that they take care of their own animals on Sunday, but they aren't willing to care for their fellow man. The Sabbath is for our good. Or think about what Jesus just said in Mark Mark, uh, chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for man. It's for man's good. And part of man's good includes helping him with his needs, body and soul. Think about something else. The Sabbath is about God's creation and salvation. Look at Exodus. Look at Deuteronomy. That's how the fourth commandment is framed. I have made you and I have saved you. How much of us did God make? How much of us did God save? Every part of us, body and soul. 
So the Sabbath is God's good gift for all of his people. It's for each one of us, yes. But what I mean there is that it is also God's good gift for every part of you, for every part of us. God loves us and has given us this great gift because he is good. How many of the Psalms remind us of this? How many of the Psalms repeat these kinds of words about the goodness of God? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The Sabbath is God's blessing for us because he is a good God. And he wants us to use it for the good of ourselves and the good of others. If I can just make an application here. I think on Sunday we focus a lot on, on spiritual things, and rightly so. I want to underline that. Rightly so. Worship is the primary focus of Sunday. But I'm afraid that we often forget that part of God's design for Sunday is that we show his goodness to others, and often in very, very practical ways. Maybe I can say it a different way. If we look in our catechisms, it says that we're supposed to be worshiping God. It says also that we're supposed to be doing acts of mercy and necessity. And we sometimes kind of treat those as footnotes. Oh, it's God. It's good that God gave us those things. No. Jesus is challenging us in this passage to, to realize that works of mercy are actually an essential part of a good Sabbath. I'll let you think about ways that that might apply in your own life. But I want to show you that that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was showing good. Jesus was showing good as he healed this man. But this is exactly what the Pharisees were missing. Remember Jesus' question, is it, is it better, can you do good or do harm? Well, the Pharisees were doing evil. They were harming people on the Sabbath. <clears throat> the Pharisees were doing evil, but they were also calling it good. See, they weren't physically hurting people. But they made the Sabbath a burden. They turned God's gift into a curse. They were spiritually abusing the people of Israel by giving them their man-made laws. And to make it worse, they did this in God's own name. Think about the, the, the Pharisees' religious sales pitch. This is what it would have sounded like. If you want to keep God's law, here's how to do it. I've got a plan for you. You just need this legalistic attitude and you just follow our list of approved actions, and God will be pleased. But nothing could be further from the truth. It, it's right. It's true. The Pharisees were trying to keep God's law, but they actually ended up breaking the third commandment. Okay, The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Part of what that commandment means is not to use God's name to defend something that is evil. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They say, God has approved what we are commanding you. God never did that. God wants good and not evil. The Pharisees have misunderstood and twisted God's gift. And they did it because deep in their hearts, they do not truly believe that God is good. You can see their actions and that points you to their hearts. They cannot or will not see that God's law is good. And God's law is good for us because God himself is good. You know, the Pharisees may be able to sing the Psalms like Psalm 19 about the goodness of God's law or sing many of those same Psalms that I mentioned earlier about declaring that God is good. They can say those words, but they do not truly believe 
God is good. But God is good. And Jesus shows us time and again through the Gospels that he is good. And look at this passage. Jesus reveals God's goodness as he heals this man with a withered hand. Verse 5. And Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched and his hand was restored. What a beautiful example of God's goodness through Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, shows the depths of God's goodness by healing this man on the day that God designed for our good. God, Jesus restores the goodness of the Sabbath, actually, as he restores this man. What a time for rejoicing. What a time for praising God and worshiping Jesus for the power and goodness that he displays. I hope that's how you feel as you read this passage. But that was not the reaction of the Pharisees. No, they turned and rejected Jesus. That's what we see third and finally then, rejection and faith in verses 5 to 6. Actually, we see their rejection even before Jesus heals the man. Think about Jesus' question in verse 4. Jesus asks them a gracious question, right? It was meant to make them probe their hearts to see their sin and to repent, but they are silent. Usually silence in the Bible, especially when God speaks to you, is a bad thing. The Pharisees are not just confused by Jesus' question. They can't quite, you know, maybe they can't figure out what he's saying. No, no, no. They are silent because they don't want to admit the truth of what he's saying. Look at verse 5. Their problem is spiritual. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. The Pharisees have hard hearts. That means they cannot or will not repent and believe. They have all the evidence they need. They've been the ones following Jesus all over the place, seeing his miracles and hearing his teaching, but they continue in their sin. They continue in their willful rejection of Jesus and his salvation. I think we can begin to understand Jesus' anger and grief as he looks into the hearts of those Pharisees. He is grieved because they are so lost. It's true their rejection is part of God's plan and they are responsible for their sin of rejecting Jesus. And yet, Jesus grieves for them. It's actually like what Jesus says when he sees Jerusalem. Do you remember that, Luke 19? Jesus arrives to Jerusalem and what does he do? The first thing he does is he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps because he loves the people there and they are rejecting him. But Jesus is also justly angry at the Pharisees. He is filled with wrath, God's own holy wrath, because these men are the leaders of Israel. They know the word, they lead the people, and they're hardened in their rejection of him. They're rejecting him, and by rejecting him, they're rejecting his father who sent him. You and I can begin to understand Jesus' grief and anger here. We can begin to understand it as God opens our eyes to know him. But we don't have the infinite love and holiness of Jesus, so we can't understand how bad sin really is. Even as believers, we don't know how bad our sin is, let alone the sins of unbelievers like these Pharisees. But we can begin to understand, and we see so clearly that the Pharisees are committed to their sins. We actually see the end result of their hatred of Jesus. Verse 6, this is where their sin leads them. The Pharisees went out and immediately, 
notice the word, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Their goal is to destroy Jesus. Not derail his ministry or distract his followers. Those would be bad enough. No, they are planning to kill Jesus. The plans that they begin now will lead to Jesus' death on the cross. Think back to Jesus' question again. Is it right to save life or to kill on the Sabbath? The Pharisees are guilty. They are guilty of murder as they leave the synagogue with murder in their hearts. And on that very same day, they begin to plot Jesus' death. But how in the world could someone hate Jesus? How in the world could someone hate Jesus like this? I mean, Jesus is the greatest gift we have ever received from a perfectly good God. How does that lead to hatred? Well, that shows us just how serious our sin truly is. Listen to Paul in Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not dismiss to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Hostile to God. That's what Paul says. We're not neutral. We're not just even kind of mildly opposed to God. No, we're hostile, hardened enemies. That is each one of us in our sin. And the Jesus and his grace threatens us in our sin. He shows us our problem and he tells us you cannot be the king of your own life. For the Pharisees, it was either God's way in Christ or their way. And that is the same for us. God is going to win. God is going to win. You may be able to live a life of rebellion now. And the scary thing is you may even manage to look pretty religious doing it. Pharisees did that. But each one of us outside of Christ faces an eternity of punishment for this kind of sinful rebellion. And that reality, the reality of the depth of our sin and the weight of God's judgment helps us to see even more clearly God's goodness. God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ because God didn't leave us in our sin. No, he sent Jesus Christ, his very own son, to die in the place of his sinful people and to save us. And Christ now calls each and every person to put your faith in him and he promises you will be saved. Or do you use the words of another psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. How does, this, how does this passage change our life? What is God doing in this? Well, one thing that we can take away from this passage is that we can rest in God's goodness. Rest in God's goodness. I think many of us struggle with truly believing that God is good. <clears throat> with really believing that his gifts for us, like his law or Sunday, that his gifts for us are actually for our good. And if we're not careful, we can turn into legalists just like the Pharisees, right? We can take a blessing like Sunday and turn it into a day of do's and don'ts, right? Maybe if you found yourself heading down this path, what am I allowed to do on Sunday? Or maybe thinking to yourself, why is that person doing that thing on Sunday? There's many other ways we can show this, but In each case, we are turning God's blessing into a way of gaining favor with God or at least avoiding his anger. It's true, we do need to follow God's law, right? 
Remember last week I talked about the Sabbath, having the instruction manual, what God has told us. So Sunday isn't just kind of church plus the weekend, church plus all the other things you want to do. No, we're following what God's law is. But we also need to be very careful not to make Sunday a lot of human laws where we are trying to please God. So we can end up like legalists, like the Pharisees. We can also go in the other direction as well. When we see God's blessing as a burden, and then we just decide we're going to live without it, then too we are doubting God's Grace and goodness. You know, the answer to our problems, wherever you find yourself today on that spectrum, the answer to our problems is the gospel. I know that's probably not a big surprise, but it's true. The gospel, because the gospel is God's goodness shown to man. The gospel is that God freely saves and abundantly blesses undeserving sinners. God in his grace has blessed us with salvation and he continues to shower us with blessings in Christ. Listen to Paul again. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is the depth of the goodness of God. That is the depth of the goodness of God. And Sunday, his day, is one of those gospel gifts from our infinitely good God. God has given us Sunday to remind us of the gospel and to empower us to grow in the gospel. And every day, but especially on Sunday, God gives us opportunities to respond to his goodness in the gospel, in worship. Let me encourage you to look to God's goodness today. Look to God's goodness now. Pray for him to show you again just how good he is. And pray that he would change your heart and your life to rest and respond to his goodness on Sunday and every day of your life. But maybe this morning you don't need to rest in God's goodness. You actually need to respond to God's goodness first in Christ. Let me encourage you. God can do far more than heal a withered hand. And he delights to do far more than that. He wants to save you from your sins. He can and he will. That's what you need. And that's the gift that God is offering you today. He is a good God. And you can take him at his word. Repent and believe and find out for yourself how good God is truly is. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we would see your goodness, that we would look at our own sins, that we'd see our own suffering, but that we would look to you, our God and our Savior, our Lord, our King, And we would see how wonderfully good you are. You have saved us from our sin. You have brought us back into your very presence. You bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You meet our needs day by day by day. You've given us even a day today, Sunday, a great gift to come and worship you, to rest and to look forward to heaven. Lord, your goodness and your greatness are unsearchable. We pray that we would respond in love and in service to you. And we pray that you would turn many, turn many who even now may hate you in their sin, 
Turn many to confess your name as they taste and see that you are good and that you are good to them. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.